So, I want you to open up to Ephesians 6. Obviously, we're not going to finish the book, but we are going to start with a phrase in verse 10 that says, finally. It's the last sermon I will preach to you. I'll share on the 26th um, my heart about where I've been with this church, where I think you're going. So today's going to be my last actual dissection of a text. So it's fitting that we come to a statement where Paul writes at the end of Ephesians, after everything he says, finally. Now, Peter was one of those guys that really, if I'd grown up in high school with him, would have hated him. He always had his hand up, always knew the answer, little teacher's pet. We did things to those guys that can't talk about. So Peter was that way and really was pretty successful. I mean, Jesus walks on the water. He looks at Jesus and says, hey. Jesus said, sure, he walks out, walks a little ways. He falls, but he got further than everybody else did. So, a little successful. They, uh, they go to Caesarea Philippi. Jesus takes them apart. Up in the mouthwaters of the Jordan, northern Galilee. And he, and he says, uh, who do people say I am? Oh, Elijah, John the Baptist, all this stuff. Who do you say I am? Peter. Bam! You're the Messiah. The son of the living God. Simon, you're blessed by that. I didn't teach you that. My father taught me that. That is outstanding. Come to the end of his life. Last night of Jesus' life, and he sent, turns to the disciples and he says, Look, they're going to hit me hard tomorrow. And when they do, or tonight, really, when they do, you guys are all packing. Peter says, you know, they all may pack out, but not me. Matter of fact, I'll tell you something, Jesus. I'll go to prison, and I'll die before I deny you. Jesus, very calmly looked at him and he said, you know, Peter, before the rooster crows, you won't deny me just once. You're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I've got this. So sure enough, finished it, Lord's Supper, go to Gethsemane, praise. They come, Judas kisses him. Everybody runs except Judas and Peter. They follow him back across to the house. And so Peter's warming himself by the fire. And we all know the story. I'm not going to run through that narrative. But we all know that he denies him three times. Now here's the kicker though. When that crowd first comes, right? When they come and all the disciples are backing up and getting ready to run, it's Peter who actually stands his ground. He pulls a sword out. And here's a mob of guys. They can overtake them and kill them. And he takes that sword out and he cuts a guy's ear off. And he steps back and he says, I'm ready. At this moment, right? 
he stood his ground. There's enough guys there, they can kill him. So he again is eminently successful. He's told the truth. I can deal with this. And I don't care how many guys are here. And I don't care that it means I may die. I've got my sword out. I'll take a swing. I'll draw blood. I'm ready. And then, at the end of the night, right before the rooster crows, a little girl, a little girl, comes up to him and goes, hey, you're one of those people. You're one of those Jesus people. And he turns. And several things happen at once. Curses. Jesus' name. And then he hears the rooster crow and he turns. And the Bible says that Jesus turned. Their eyes meet. And Peter goes and weeps bitterly. Now. Here's my question. Why is he brave in front of a mob of people, but he cowers, curses, betrays, and denies in front of a little girl? Why the distinction? Now, this is my own take. But when he's facing the mob, he's facing flesh and blood. Peers. People just like him. You have to remember now, we've talked about this. Satan does not want Jesus on that cross. Because if Jesus goes to the cross, he's judged, we're released. He wants to be released himself and us judged. And the only way to stop that is to stop Jesus from the cross so he's doing everything he can to keep Christ from the cross. He doesn't want him to go. So he's brought every demon he has to Jerusalem, to this spot. Now this sounds crazy, but I'm just telling it's my firm belief. I say this when we go to Israel. I think there are two spots in Israel the demons never go back to. I don't think they go back to Gethsemane. And I don't think they ever go back to Golgotha. Because they lost the battle there. All those demons are hovering around. And so at the morning watch, he's not facing a fleshly mob He's facing a supernatural group of beings. Now listen. That he can't handle. And they overwhelm him. And he loses it. Which is why Jesus told them. He said, boys... Receive the Holy Spirit. When he comes, you let him in. He'll do for you what I would do for you if I were here. 
So understand, there's a realm. Now listen, there's a realm in this room. You can sense, you can feel at times, but you cannot see, but it interacts with you every day. There are angels, there are demons, there are cherubim, there are seraphim, and there's an activity going on around you, which is why Paul writes this 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Can't handle this on your own. That's why Peter failed. But when Pentecost comes and he stands up in the power of the Spirit, he looks at the same people that killed Jesus that he trembled in front of and he said, look, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. Deal with it. There's this enormous courage that occurs to a man who failed in front of a little girl because now he's in the power of the Spirit and it overcomes any and every demon in this universe. Well, how do I put on the strength? Great question. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me tell you something. He's real smart. He can make you think you're hearing Jesus when you're not. And he can do that quickly. Peter, right after he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, man, great job, Peter. You heard from my father. That moment. Jesus said, now boys, here's what it's going to mean. Head people in Israel are going to reject me and crucify me, but I'm going to come out on the third day. Peter jumps up and says, no, I'm not going to let you die. Jesus turned to him. This is seconds after this. He turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not savor God's That's how good this realm is. That's why you have to have other people in your life. Because you're not capable of always being right. And so he says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is an organized realm around you. Let me show you something. Book of Daniel. We're going to come back to Ephesians, but I want you to go to the book of Daniel with me. I want you to look at this. Now, beginning in Daniel 9.20, and I want you to remember, right, in the Old Testament, one angel, one angel, Killed 186,000 people. So angels are not terrified of us flesh and blood. They can deal with us. So what he says, he's not talking about men. He's talking about demonic hordes. Now listen. Daniel 9. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before my Lord the God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, he's already heard from him before. Now listen to this. 
came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking to me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning, your pleas for mercy, your word went out. I've come to tell it to you for your greatly love. Consider the word and understand that distinction. Then look down in chapter 10, verse 12. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, humble yourself for your God, your words have been heard. I've come because of your words. And listen, the prince of the kingdom of Persia can't be a man because his Gabriel, an angel, withstood me 21 days. But Michael, who is the archangel of God, one of the chief princes came to help me. For I was left there with the kings, plural, of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now here's what he says. It took Gabriel three weeks to get from God to Daniel. Three weeks. He said, I was on my way, but I ran into the prince of Persia. Not a man, but a demon who is organized. He is over Persia. That's his area. And he said, when I got to the area of Persia, he fought me. And I couldn't get through. Until Michael came, he fought with me. There were others that showed up, the kings of Persia. We fought them, and now I'm here to deliver you the message for the future. Here it is. But here's why it took me three weeks to get to you. Because the word went out three weeks ago from the creator of the universe. There is in this room a supernatural realm. You do not see, but you live in, round, through, and under. And you do not have the ability to be smart enough to handle it or powerful enough to handle it. It will overcome you every single day. So, what do I do? Well, here it is. Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God. You would stand in the evil eye, have done all to stand. Stand therefore, now here we go, watch this. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The first thing you do, the first thing you start, soldier put his belt on and held a sword, made everything tight fitting, allowed him to move. The belt that you wrap around your life as a church is this book. This book. You don't wrap it around anything else but this book. When you leave this, you will be overwhelmed because you're not smart enough and you're not clever enough to handle what this realm around you can do. You got to live here. You got to wrap your life around this. You have to come to a place where you say, all right, God, you said in Jeremiah, it's not in me to direct my steps. I don't think it is either. So here I am. I want to know what's in here. Number two, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The thing that you protect yourself with is holiness. Now, let me tell you, there are two kinds of righteousness in your life. When you came to Christ, 
When you put your faith in what Jesus did, now listen, God did three things to you. He washed away your sin. He put inside you his holiness. And as a result of you now being holy inside, he put his Holy Spirit in there permanently. He couldn't do that when sin wears over. The sin's gone. His righteousness is there. And now the Holy Spirit's in. And that righteousness protects you so that when you come to the end of your life, when you die, you know where you're going. That's the first righteousness you have. Now, listen. So that gets you into, it plugs you into the wall. Okay? You now possess the Holy Spirit of God. So now you're plugged into the power source. But now, now listen. You have to allow that righteousness that is imputed to you to come out in your life. Now listen. To the degree that that holiness comes out is the degree to which that realm will conquer you or not conquer you. I'm going to read you one psalm. Stay where you are in, Genesis, and in uh, Ephesians. Listen to this. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. If you want angelic deliverance, like Peter found in the book of Acts, if you want angelic deliverance, where the angels that are assigned to you overwhelm the demons that are assigned to you, that, their work is conditioned on how much that intrinsic holiness flows into your daily life. I can affair proof every marriage in this room right now. If you do three things. The Bible says love the Lord your God with all your heart. You do that. You leave here today with that. You love your wife as you love yourself. First Timothy, you're a one wife man. And number three, I am never alone with another woman because I don't want that temptation in my life. You do those three things, he cannot touch you. Your holiness from Jesus qualifies you for the power source. As you allow it to come out in your life, it overwhelms the filth that lives around you. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Romans 5, 1 says, I have peace with God, the Father, through my Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Your feet should always be ready to preach the gospel. Why? Because you are okay with the Creator. So it doesn't matter whether or not you're okay with anybody else. As long as I don't offend him, I don't care whether or not anybody else is offended. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I honor him. 
And if I honor him and know he and I are connected and we're okay, then I'm willing to go out here and say, hey, you're wrong. Jesus is right. And this is the day when we're going to have to live because we got a culture that doesn't like what we teach, but we're going to have to stand firm and be ready to do that because we understand who we are in Jesus Christ. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I hate Satan. Because that's what he does all day long. He takes shots and what really chaps me is he takes shots at children. He really goes after them. You go through a trial. You may be here today, right? It's been a bad week. Someone died. You lost your job. You're not sure about a promotion. You're struggling. Your marriage is bad. You're just hurting. And it was hard to get up. I guarantee you the enemy is going to shoot two darts at you. Two darts. Going to shoot one that says, I'm not sure that God is big enough to handle what you're facing. And he's going to shoot one more and say, you know, if he loved you, you wouldn't be facing this. Now, the only thing that's going to conquer those is the shield of faith. You pull up your faith and you know what, Satan? I think God is big enough because his word says so. And I think he loves me because Jesus died for me. I'm putting my faith in what you say. And it's so imperative that you have it. Because he really does shoot at children. I've had kids in my office said, why did mom and dad divorce? He shoots at them. your job to hold the shield up so they see it when we came here a few years back we get a letter Lawrence for I think it was Mrs. Barron I can't remember we get a letter from her Sunday school teacher so, you know, we're thinking, yeah, okay, it's a preacher's kid, sure, they're going to send a letter to her. So we get here, and we hear the story. She sent a letter to our daughter, so sweet, loved on these kids. She and her husband prayed for a kid for years finally became pregnant, lost the girl at age four, couldn't have any more, but they spent their life for over 40 years in a four-year-old class holding up their shield, saw all these kids would see and learn that shield. So you can hold yours up. 
them take the helmet of salvation. You're going to wrap your mind around the fact that you are in fact saved. Now, I know Satan will make you doubt. It's the number one thing he does because he does. He can remove that protection from you. This is what protects you. Part of what protects you from his blows. You got the shield of faith. You've got this helmet. He takes the shot. You say, I don't care what you say. I'm saved. So he's going to make you doubt. I'm telling you, that's coming. The proof of whether or not you're a Christian is that you doubt. He would never make a non-believer doubt because then you're going to seek Jesus. So if he makes you doubt, it's because you're a believer. Remember I said that one Wednesday night and some guy said, I must be the greatest Christian in America. (laughs) It's going to make you doubt. So here's what you do. Say, you know what, God? I think you're honest. And I told you one day that I was a sinner I couldn't get out of. I knew that your son didn't sin and that he paid for my sin on the cross and that you raised him from the dead and I believe that that's the only antidote I have and I'm going the rest of my life and putting my faith in that, that that's the only thing that will get me into heaven. If you've done that, listen, you are a child of God. End of story. Do not let any preacher tell you you've got to remember the hour in the day Don't let any preacher, when you doubt, say to you, well, you know, why don't you come down today and let's nail it down. You don't have anything to nail down. You trust Jesus Christ. He honors his word. Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive tool that he gives you is the sword. Belt's protection, shoes are protection. Helmets protection, breastplates protection, shields protection. You have one offensive weapon. We're back to this. He starts the armor with this, and he ends it with this. Whatever you do in the future, you make real sure. This is where you live. My wife and I visited a couple of churches. We visited one last Sunday. Won't say where it was. It was somewhere in Texas. <laughs> we visited last Sunday. We sit down. It's not the pastor. It's another guy who gets up. They've been at staff retreat. And they've come up with five core values. So they're going to go over the values over the several weeks, and here's the first core value, which I can't remember. But the first thing he does when he starts the core value is he mentions this great preacher that he you need really, this is a great guy, Andy Stanley. So immediately my wife's like, stop. <laughs> because I'm automatically here pretty done. Andy Stanley is a gifted communicator. But a couple years ago, he made the statement that I don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible. I believe in the Bible because of Jesus. It's what I know about Jesus that makes me trust the Bible. I don't think the Bible is necessarily totally true to be able to trust in Jesus. Now, here's the brain-dead statement there. 
You see this, right? I wasn't there when Jesus died. I didn't see them crucify him. I didn't see them wrap him. I didn't see them put him in the tomb. And I was not there when he came out. The only way I know that story's true is I read it in here. So I believe in Jesus because I think this is true. Came out the other day and said, the Old Testament is really not relevant for us. We need to really kind of ignore it and go straight to the new. It's always amazing to me. When, when you go to Qumran in Israel, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which to most people mean nothing, right? Really. Except shortly after World War II, this little shepherd boy is walking along. What's he doing in the middle of the wilderness? He's chunking rocks, which is what every kid does. So he chunks a rock in a cave, and he hears something break, and he's like, oh, my. Runs home, tells his dad, not my fault. I don't know what happened. So they go back to the cave, and his dad walks in, and there are all these pottery deals filled with papers. So they fill them out. Finally, to make a long story short, it's the Dead Sea Scrolls, which probably doesn't mean a lot except for one real key thing. All sorts of different parts of the Old Testament were found, and obviously they date at least to three centuries before Christ. They are copies of what obviously was there, right? But they're 300 years before Jesus. The only, and there are all sorts of different parts of Old Testament books, but there's one Old Testament book that was completely found. Anybody know what it was? Isaiah. Why would God preserve that one book? Because the 53rd chapter is the greatest picture in the Old Testament of the blood, death, sacrifice, and benefit of Jesus Christ. And the scholars used to say, well, Isaiah 53 was written after Jesus died. They made these prophecies up. They stuck it in Isaiah and said, yeah, that's it. Well, when they found this, they all had to go, bummer. <laughs> Start with the Bible. You find Jesus. You end with the Bible. And the truth about Jesus. Don't ever leave that. Let's pray. Father, the part of me that aches to leave here. But I just ask you, no matter what happens, that this body stays. In what you say. Let us wear your armor. In a way. That those beings don't overcome us. We overcome them. Make that real. Make that legitimate in our life. And honor. Your word that we trust in. 
thank you for it and for your son that it talks about. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. With heads bowed, eyes closed. Never met Jesus Christ. This would be the day to do it. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. You just need to come down here and kneel and pray and say, I want to put my life back under the direction of the scripture. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning.